at no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. We have rational thoughts. We just love that clip because it's funny because it's just like, you know, are we going to have something interesting to say today? Welcome to the Author Brand Show. I'm your host, Doug Crow, and you're going to want to take notes today. I've got a very, very interesting guest about strategy and approaching uh, how to build your business, how to how to manage it, how new detail practice. Let me give you an actual official bio here. Uh, this gentleman's a corporate business veteran. He's a scientist, he's a musician. And he spent 25 years at DuPont in diverse leadership positions, including director of corporate integrated business planning. That's a mouthful. Um, his broad view of strategy innovation began and in developing during his graduate research. So in addition to his studies, he has a musical background, which led him to recognize common adaptive patterns in the science and the arts. Same patterns he also found in business and technology at DuPont. And that's pretty cool. That's something I want to, I want to understand about because a diverse portfolio of skills um, obviously has some benefit. We're going to talk about that with our guest today, Mr. Peter Campo. Peter, how are you today? I'm good, thanks. Glad to hear it. I, I love this combination of music and technology and what that all led you to. So tell us a little bit about your, your book. It's called Emergent Approach. Is that right? Mm-hmm. All right. Emergent, the Emergent Approach to Strategy. The Emergent Approach to Strategy, even better. Okay. Great. Tell us about that. What is it? What is it all about? Well, it's two things. It's a new new theory of strategy where I actually derive the function and the definition of strategy from complex adaptive systems. And then the second part is applying that new theory to modify traditional practice of strategy. And now Obviously, there's a lot to this, and we're going to get into it deep as we can in the next 20, 30 minutes. Um, it sounds on the surface a little bit academic and dry. Can you give us some real-life examples of what it means? So the the real life is, is that, and I'm not the first person to say this, you know, the future isn't planned. We don't we don't create a vision of the future and then go send our people off to just go ahead and make it happen. We know that doesn't happen. So if that doesn't happen, how does the future come about? Well, we adapt, we create visions, we create ideas, we create plans. And then as we start walking down the road, we find out what's different from what we thought and we modify. And we take advantage of what we learn and we take advantage of what, what's new um, and unexpected. So if that's the way the real world works, then shouldn't our strategy theory and shouldn't our strategy practice reflect that? I think if you would sum up the book, that's probably would be the best sum up. Right. And okay. then how to make that happen, yeah. there's a lot of details. Yeah, because it sounds very reactive as opposed to proactive. That's probably the first, you know, question that I would have. It sounds like I got to adapt what's happening. I can't like lead. Well, you know, this is, I think, a big misunderstanding about the concept of emergence. Mm -hmm. You know, ever since Mintzberg put Henry Mintzberg, the strategist back in the 90s, in the rise and fall of uh, strategic planning, kind of put out there, hey, look, it doesn't work the way these 
these textbooks say it works, um, real strategies emerge. Uh, I think there's been a misunderstanding about what that means. It, it, people take it to mean there's nothing. You know, just go do what you want to do, run experiments. But, you know, no large corporation can work that way. There's got to be disciplines. So the disciplines are different. Not that there's no disciplines, not that there's no system to approaching it. I think that's a big misunderstanding. Okay, that that's fair enough. I, I get that. We want to make me clarify the terms here. Um, so give me give me a, a specifics on you mentioned in one of the questions we put you earlier was like bottlenecks, aspirations, right? There's a, a insight and strategies designed to implementing these things. Give me tell me what you mean by that, and then I want to hear a clear. Uh, real case example of it. Okay. So the first point that you got to there and that comes out of the theory is that strategy, you don't get your strategy straight from your aspirations. You don't say, let's use a very simple example. I got to reduce cost in my business for whatever reason I got here now. Maybe I'm now a mature business and I got too much cost. Um, you don't just say, okay, What's my strategy for doing that? Let's make a list of things to reduce cost on. That's the laundry list that most strategies look like. Mm -hmm. Lists of mm -hmm. initiative, lists of goals, lists of sub goals, lists of plans. And they right. go on for pages sometimes, right? Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Okay. Instead, the argument is you don't get your strategy from the aspiration directly. You get it from what's in the way. And Rummel is someone who's talked a lot about this. What's in the way of getting your aspiration that you need to achieve? And I call it a bottleneck. And I like the term bottleneck. You could say barrier, obstructions, what's in the way. Barrier, like constraints, the, all that works. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. what, you, what you could say, uh, but the reason I like bottleneck is because it implies a limit to progress. You know, a rate, a limit to the rate. Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody who's got a business is trying to move from here to here, right? Try to move, try to get better at something. So I like the idea of bottleneck is it's limiting your rate of change. It's limiting your rate of progress. So yeah. let's get back to your example. Uh, I want to reduce cost. What's the bottleneck? You have to determine what's in the way before you can decide what your strategy is. Mm -hmm. So I'll mm -hmm. contrast, you know, let's do contrast. One would be, well, we've had this business for years and we've spent so much time creating a complicated product line yeah, right. to serve all of these markets and all of these applications and customers. And now they won't pay for it in the same way because it's more of a commodity and we have to face that reality. Mm -hmm. How are we going to simplify the product line? Now, a strategy for that is going to be much different than... Well, we looked up one day and we had too many people in IT, yeah, HR, right. product development, R&D. We needed all these people when we were growing. But now corporate direction is our business unit. We need you to work more on cash. We need you to cut down your costs. Mm -hmm. The strategy for those two different obstacles, bo bottlenecks, would be different. Yeah. You know, and, and this is where another very known term, but now we can see where it comes in where trade-offs comes in, um, right? Right. So what's your bottleneck? My bottleneck is I'm being too good to all these customers. They won't pay for it anymore. Yeah. I'm going to have to take the pain of telling some no. I'm going to have to cut out a region. I'm going to have to cut out an application. 
these are very, very tough trade-offs to make, right? Because someone mm -hmm. in the organization is not going to like it. That's You're right. going to lose some business. But this is a sign of a, of a true strategy. Someone's taking pain somewhere. Can't always be a win-win, huh? Someone's got someone's to take the hit. Maybe there's a way to make it a win-win with somebody yeah. that you're doing yeah. something to. But unless there's some pain, I don't think it's a real strategy. Right. You know? right. And this is back to the laundry list of beautiful things to do. There's no pain at all. Sometimes I used to say, you know, as long as everybody got their bullet point on the list, everybody went home happy and went back to doing exactly what they were doing before. Right. Yeah. It's a waste of meeting, right? Yeah. So can you give me an example of a, of a company or a division or a group that you worked with that had this, this challenge of looking at it from the, uh, from the surface level and you came in and said, no, you need to not talk about the list, talk about this, uh, the adaptive part? Sure. I mean, I think at, at DuPont, uh, where I spent my corporate, yeah. my corporate career, yeah. um, it was a company in transition um, after 200 years, I came in in year 188 or something like that. You know? <laughs> but I was there for the big, the big celebrations of our 200 years. But you know, it was a company in transition trying to figure out how we're going to reinvent ourselves again. Okay, yeah. moving from the old the chemistry and so many products that everybody knows, Kevlar, Lycra, uh, nylon, and and just on and on. Right. Yeah. Um, many mature businesses now. Okay. And they had exactly these kinds of issues that I just described. But you know what was really interesting? Often the driving force for making the change was the manufacturing group. Because okay. the the business leadership, if their strategy consisted very much of lists of things to do, initiatives and so forth, it didn't give the manufacturing group the direction they needed to make the trade-offs. They didn't know what products to cancel. They didn't know what products not to ex expedite anymore. Yeah. They didn't know which customers to, to treat in different ways. Differential management, right? And I think where we would go in and do this and help the business articulate what tough choices they were going to make and then convert that into tactical policy often. Mm -hmm. And I have some examples of this in the book, tactical policy tables, you know, you segment customers or products you can do mm -hmm. it in a different way. It could be markets okay. and then say, what is our policy for each one of these? Um, will we expedite? Will we, will um, we answer for new products mm -hmm. requests? Will we modify a product for them? Will we give them a new project, uh, product? What's the mm -hmm. lead time requirement? You start making a matrix of these things and the manufacturing group and the, and the uh, business starts really talking. Okay. But it wasn't until you start articulating real trade-offs and real, real strategies that took pain, you couldn't do it because it's all you had was a list of good things to do. And they mm -hmm. really weren't good things to do because no one had looked at the interaction between them. Ah, uh, right. That's that's where I want to get to my next question about. You've got all this guitars and drum set and stuff there. Tell me how the music part of your background and knowledge was integrated into this theory. Oh, I'm sorry. You know, I, I took a look at your site and you yeah. know read a little bit about you. I I figured you wouldn't mind if I kept this stuff up in the back and No, I love it. I I got I got into Northwestern on a, on a scholarship, but because my grades 
we're good in band, not in not in math and there science. There you go. There you yeah. go. There's always a silver lining. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I tell you, um, the music angle is, I think, this. It's what I grew up with. I grew up in a musical family, nice. and I was always interested, even at a fairly young age, like you know, even high school, college. How does innovation occur? How does creativity occur? Yeah, and I always had an inkling from the earliest days that it wasn't what everybody said. It wasn't mm -hmm. free thinking. Now, you know, is free thinking in there? Yeah, maybe, but it's not the essence of it. It's some kind of discipline, but it's a deep discipline. It's at a lower level. It's not at the level of, oh man, I'm gonna create the best solo that ever was, you know? Right. My, my father was a, a jazz musician in New York. Oh, nice. So nice. I kind of, you know, I came into contact a lot with improvisation and what worked right. and what didn't work, that kind yeah. of thing. And, you know, the guys who said, oh, I'm just going to do it. It wasn't it. It was the guys who had a discipline. They had a they had a strategy without. Wow. They couldn't tell you what it might be. Maybe a little. Charlie Parker developed his harmonic theories, you know, about what would work and what wouldn't work. <laughs> a lot of it, I don't think, was spoken. Let, let's let's back up for a second and explain to people the difference between improvisation and performing a sheet music, right? I mean, most things you hear out there in, in the regular music world is somebody who's like written a score, put the notes on a paper and you play those notes, right? And the, the better you play it, the more money you can make allegedly. It, jazz specifically has a huge element of improvisation where, okay, we, we start this tune and then we do a breakout with some, some rhythm and you just go and play something and it just got to, come to you it's, it feels like it's magic like it's it's coming from the universe and going through your mouth right i play trombone um and now you're saying that obviously to be able to do that you got to have an maybe an intuitive sense of chords and notes and scales and things so you don't you know do something that's bad or that's not gonna you know just gonna work um so that's what you mean on discipline i get that but there's another element than discipline you also have to have i don't know curiosity or experimentation or something there, right? Oh, well, I think you're opening up another dimension of it. How do you get yeah. there? What makes you want to put in the work? What makes you want to do something wonderful? It's almost this kind of drive, right? That's internal. Mm -hmm. But right. I think it's almost two different issues you're raising up here. One is, you know, it would be the same in a business. What's your drive to make your business great? You got an idea, you want to bring it to the world. That's one thing, right? That's this creative drive. The other is, how are you going to do it? What's the discipline to doing it? What are right. the underlying principles you're going to follow to make to make that happen? Sure. And I think you're absolutely right. Um, the Charlie Parkers of the world yeah. would go into a room and practice for eight hours a day, yep. right? This enormous drive to be great and to, to find their voice and mm -hmm. to find it. He also, at the same time, was working on new concepts that we call bebop now, right? Harmonic right. concepts, style concepts. The two went together, you know, in a yeah. very powerful way. Right. So now that we understand uh, the, the, the brilliance and beauty of music, specifically improvisation, connect the dots here on business in terms of yeah. how, that, how that revolves around, you know, the, the adaptation um, process you're, that you've uh, authored here in this book. So this comes into the theory, the theory. Mm -hmm. um, so 
when I was, you know, thinking about ad, uh, uh, innovation all through my life. So I noticed in all these cases, and you asked me a question in your questionnaire, uh, what's my favorite book? And yeah. I mentioned Marie Curie's biography written by her daughter, who happened to be a pianist also. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, cool. Eve Curie. Yeah, she yeah. was living in New York. She lived, she lived to 104 when oh, I was in City cool. College reading her book. I didn't know she was living on the east side, on the Upper East Side. Crazy, yeah. 40 blocks away. Um, but anyway, uh, in this book, she talked about how Marie Curie discovered, her mother discovered mm -hmm. um, radium, of yeah. course, her great, her great momentous discovery. Right. And she didn't say, no, Marie went off and had all these great wild ideas. And, and, and she was more free thinking than everybody else. It was exactly the opposite. Yeah. She and and the line was she had she had eliminated all of the evident possibilities. Now okay. she was forced to go to the unplumbed. She was forced to go where no one had had gone before. Yeah, right. Okay. And it and a light bulb goes off. No, it's a it's a destructive process. Creativity ah. is a destructive process. And then yeah. that connected me to Darwin, because natural selection. Mm -hmm. is a destructive process. It eliminates the unfit in a population, leaving the more fit the resources. Right. Continue on and evolve with new mutations and new combinations until new species come. So then when I get into business, yeah, I say, well, we do a terrible job at predicting what's going to be successful here. That's and for sure. Nobody and knows. DuPont, no different than anybody else, right? Yeah. I'm just... I use DuPont because I was there, cool, but I know from what I've learned, no one does great at predicting, right? You right. might predict some things and you uh -huh. might get lucky sometimes, but I said, yes. if we're so bad at predicting, how had all these great things developed? Right, and right. You started to see the discipline come in. We're gonna eliminate those ideas that aren't working in the R&D lab, in product yeah. managers who are saying, mm -hmm. well, did the customers really, really respond to this or didn't they? Well, maybe we don't invest until we do see it. Mm -hmm. I saw over and over, it was constant discipline to eliminate that which was not interesting, leaving that what was interesting to evolve further. Okay. okay. And yeah. that and that the discipline of running a business, and who was, you know, Steve Jobs said this, right? Is the ability to say no. So yeah. If it's, if it's this constant effort to eliminate things, to reduce the unfit, to leave the more fit to evolve further, it sounded a lot like adaptive behavior to me. It sounded like music. It sounded like the discipline of music and all the things I had learned about scientific discovery. Yeah. Amazing. And, yeah. Well, it, 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 25 is DuPont. I know you weren't like in the, you know, a uh, you know a research scientist or something, but I know they've got probably more patents than I can imagine. Have remember, were you exposed to all their the things that they they created and the things that they that didn't go anywhere? Well, yeah, I mean I saw things come and go, like yeah. everybody. I mean we would try new things, and I think they successfully tried some things. Oh, I remember some biodegradable forks and spoons and things yeah. like this. You know that right. the time might not have been right, and they let it go. You know, yeah. I mean, uh, in the lab, yes, we tried a lot of things, and every every company does. I think well, you guys separate, more than a lot, though. 
They did, you know, but I was there towards the latter period. Most mm. of the things you've heard of that they invented were invented earlier in the century, you know, yeah. the, the 20th century. But they're still yeah. a great company. They were still doing great things, even though they've been broken up for, yeah. you know, for several reasons. Yeah. Um, but I think I think what I saw to answer your question, uh, you know, is that where there was success, it, and innovation, it wasn't just free thinking. It was disciplined thinking. It was analytical thinking. It was, what, does this really, really hold water? You know, are these arguments for real? Or are we just talking to ourselves? Or are right. we just, are we wishing? Is it mm -hmm. wishful thinking? We need this to work. So we're yeah. going to make it work. You know, I think you, you saw that. And yeah. I tried to embody that in more in principles and in techniques that you can use. Sure. You know, and it's certainly, it's certainly true in literature. And we've got a whole app called the Hemingway app, which eliminates superfluous words. Like, nah, just get to the point. You know, <laughs> that's, I, that you know, our company, we publish, you know, dozens and dozens of books a year. And we have ghostwriters and authors come in and yeah, I look at these manuscripts and I'm like, would you cut out all these extra words? So then like, just say it. You know, yep. It's, yep. it's interesting. Yeah. I'd like to use, you know, I, I stuck another uh, book writing uh, phrase in, yeah. in my book as an example, um, one that really stuck with me. You've got to kill your darlings. Yeah. And it's not only words, it's phrases, it's concepts, it's ideas, right? right? right. You, right. you know, it happens in music. You fall in love with a with a sound, with a right. phrase, with a with a harmony. And yeah. you, you got to keep it. But the truth is, if it doesn't fit, if it doesn't fit the system, you got to kill Man, it. Man, you're bringing me back to the a day I, I, I played jazz trombone. Yeah. And uh, I only got a chance to do improvisation in, con in, you know, in front of an audience maybe three or four times. Mm -hmm. I remember a couple of licks that I did that I felt really good. You know, hey, this is a good one. Ba -da -da, you know, whatever it was. Sure, sure. Why did I do that one three times? What's what's enough? You know, it's, yeah. Well, they, as I say, they become musical cliches. Yeah. Right? right. And how much improvisation is musical cliche if you're not following some deeper drive, you know? Yeah. And business cliches are all over the place too. How many oh, metrics, how many KPIs, you know, KPIs, even the word, you know, how many strategies are a list of? Oh my God. Yeah. Agile and six segment, all these things just all the words. You know, to death, overused. Yeah. Uh, we, we, we have a, we have a challenge when we do work with our authors sometimes. Okay. And this is one of the questions I pose to my clients when they come to work with us. Okay. Um, what can you say that hasn't already been said? And they go, Oh, is that a requirement? I said, no, I'm just curious. It's okay because your perspective on an old idea might be valuable. I mean, a lot of things get rehashed and repurposed and people go, Oh, wow, it's brand new. I'm like, I read that in the Bible. Come on, it's, it's an old strategy, you know. So, it's um, it's interesting in terms of your emergent approach, which I'll let you say this up. It's called emergentapproach.com is where you get the book, and the book title is Emergent Approach to Strategy: the strategy. Adaptive okay. Design and Execution. Right. Is that available on uh, uh, Amazon? Oh, of course. It you can pre-order it now. Yeah, it'll okay. you know it has the usual suspects of distribution for sure. Yeah. Terrific. When's it gonna be out? When's it gonna be out? Um, first week in June, I think. Terrific. All right. Be. 
you well, can whenever this recording is published it'll be out trust me it'll, it'll be out, out. Yeah. yeah it's out now you can get there's quite a bit on the website um mm -hmm. i've made a choice to put what traditionally would be appendices yeah. uh, on the website instead of the book i can update mm -hmm. them i can add other information and there's mm -hmm. book supplements and right um right. there's also a um getting back to your question around you know methods and what is it yeah. i have uh kind of a little bit of a guidebook online that you can use to get through mm -hmm. the principles and kind of take a bit of a step by step yeah even though the approach that i'm using an emergent approach to strategy design is a little bit different from the old chevron designs that you might see you know first we're going to define our aspiration then we're going to collect data then we're going to blah blah and, and a lot of those parts are good yeah. my argument with them is you can't do them in parallel you have to you have i'm sorry uh, you can't do them in series right you can't right do yeah. one at a time okay you have to think of it in parallel and i do right. call it an agile method from yeah. this point of view not oh just everything good you know fast yeah. response and perfect yeah. but um you create a minimum viable strategy alternative matrix okay and then work it live it oh man evolve it by stressing it and trying to destroy all the aspects of it wow there you go don't hold water everything that outsiders insiders logic models whatever you want to throw at it but don't say once you've stated your goals or done your research you're done with that do it mm -hmm. all together even put prospective strategies up there right from the beginning yeah. even if they're dead wrong Put them up there to start the process and so it's kind of the minimum viable software creation concept yeah get it mvp it's mvs i like that yeah get you it the minimum, minimum viable strategy and then stress test it to see if it's if it's true if it actually works that's good yes yeah. and and there's a whole you know there's a lot of details to this you got to have principles for designing things and how to find bottlenecks where to look for bottlenecks mm -hmm. how to test whether you got bottlenecks that make sense i've also got five new tests of strategy one's not exactly new one's been used mm -hmm. before but as a set they're new yeah and i call them uh in the spirit of taking away the bad the five disqualifiers five oh, disqualifiers of strategy mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot of tools but it all yeah. kind of can be brought back to this adaptive idea yeah of the the discipline to learn what isn't right and take mm -hmm. that away love it love it well peter it's great talking to you i can't wait to uh, take a look at your book uh folks if you want to get a look at this thing it's available on amazon.com and go to his website emergentapproach.com where you can learn more being an adaptive leader by being adaptive strategies here thank you so much peter appreciate your time thank you you bet and that concludes our show today for the author brand show make sure you click below and subscribe because we've got some free stuff for you as well. Have a good one.